We're going to continue our series in the carols here this week as we wrap up our Advent season. And uh, we started, uh, for us, with Newt being here the first Sunday of Advent, so we started the second Sunday of Advent uh, with uh, the invitation to come and worship the King and, and seeing that throughout the carols. And then last week we talked about uh, the power of this baby, this King Jesus who broke Satan's power and uh, overcame that. And we talked about that aspect of Jesus and his character, uh, the lion aspect of, of Christ and that part of his character. This week we're going to kind of go to the other end of the spectrum and address this aspect of, of his, his gentleness, his, his humility, his lowliness. And uh, we just sang this song, right, a little town of Bethlehem. Bethlehem, a backwater uh, town a little bit. Um, uh, the prophets even say that. Uh, Though you're small among the clans of Israel, out of you will come a ruler. Right? So even in Jesus' beginnings, we see the, his, his nature, uh, humbly born in a, in, a, in a stable, in a manger. And, of course, that kind of theme played out through his life, this gentle and lowly Savior. And we're going to unpack that a little bit here this morning. Let me pray for us as we begin. God, we just ask again for your blessing on the preaching of your word. Um, Not my words, God. Um, Your truth. God, please take it and renew our vision for who Christ is. And lift our eyes up that uh, we would set our minds on him, fix our eyes on him that he would be glorified, and as we do that, God, that we would find in him all that we need for life and godliness, God. So wherever anyone's sitting here today, um, encourage, discourage, God, that this vision of Jesus Christ as their Savior would continue to bless them and, and motivate them to follow hard after Christ, surrendering their lives to him. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So I'm guessing probably being good West Michiganders, good Grand Rapidites, is that a thing? Rapidites? I don't know. But uh, you've probably been to Meyer Garden, right? Many of you have been to Meyer Gardens here. And if you've been there, you probably recognize uh, this sculpture. Anyone ever seen this? Anyone know what it's called, what the name of the sculpture is? Mad Mom, all the moms say. Um, Yes, the, the Mad Mom sculpture. And I'm not sure how clear it is, uh, but you got um, the kind of the hands on the hips, kind of frowny, angry face. Uh, I find it ironic. I don't know if this was on purpose or not, but the proximity of this sculpture is kind of diagonal to the entrance and exit. You know what I'm going to say, right? The entrance and exit of the children's garden. And I've often wondered, like, did they put that there because that's how most moms look upon exiting the children's garden? You know, I don't know, but it's, it's kind of right there. So we always have a good laugh at this. You know, we can't walk by, and I'm like, this is how mom always looks at you, Zach, you know. Um, and they're like, yeah, that's mommy. This isn't really you, Kathy. This, she's always smiling. But, uh, <laughs> but the mad mom, the angry mom, right? And most kids recognize this look. I certainly did as I was a child and um, still do sometimes, I guess. But uh, here's, here's the question. Do, do you find yourself ever, because <clears throat> I do, imagining that this is often the look that God has towards you. Jesus has as he looks at you in your life. You failed again. You messed up again. You, you didn't measure up. Just, Paul, I'm just done with you. You know? Summer, that's it. I, if I'm honest, there's a lot of times I, 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 I picture this. Like, God, you got to be disappointed in me. 
you got to have that mad mom look when you're looking at me because I just did it again. I failed again. I didn't measure up again. And I do. I, I, I picture him having this mad mom look expression when he looks at me. Disappointment, frustration. As we talk about the gentleness of Jesus this morning, I want us to dispel this image of Jesus, the gentle and lowly Savior. And I want you to leave here today going, this is not how my Savior looks at me in my brokenness when I'm coming to him humbled and broken because of my sin. This is not how he views me. I mentioned the aspect of Jesus we talked about last week. We're going to talk about the opposite this week. Uh, C.S. Lewis actually has a great quote about this in, his, uh, in, a, in a volume called The Collected Letters of C.S. Lewis. It says, Gentle Jesus, my elbow. I have no idea what he means by that. John, the great C.S. Lewis scholar, what does he mean by my elbow? Whatever. He writes this, The most striking thing about our Lord is the union of great ferocity with extreme tenderness. And he kind of goes off on this little side thing. Remember Pascal? He's quoting Pascal here. I do not admire the extreme of one's virtue unless you show me at the same time the extreme of the opposite virtue. One shows one's greatness not by being at an extremity, but by being simultaneously at two extremities and filling all the space in between. Add to this that Jesus is also a supreme ironist, dialectician, and occasionally humorist. So go on. You're on the right track now, getting the real man behind all the plaster dolls that have been substituted for him. This is the appearance in human form of the God who made the tiger and the lamb, the avalanche and the rose. He'll frighten and puzzle you, but the real Christ can be loved and admired as the doll can't. Both sides of Jesus, the lion and the lamb. We talked about this last week. This is why I I love that scene in Revelation 1 when Jesus shows himself to John in his glory and the, the, the splendor of his appearance and John falls down like, I'm dead. I can't look at this. And and in the midst of that, this really small, subtle thing that Jesus does, but he reaches down and he touches John on the shoulder. Hey, it's me. Walked beside you for three years. John, you're still the beloved disciple. Yes, this is me in my glory, but I'm still the gentle Savior as well. Right? Both sides of who Jesus is. Man, and, and again, so pardon me, I start saying this, like gen- Jesus is gentle. Honestly, like there's a little bit of that that's like, ugh, it's a little too soft. A little, a little too soft, right? But this is how he describes himself. Right? Lion and the lamb. Think about this. Think about the spectrum. Of who, this is the guy. Remember the temple scene when he goes in and he's overturning the tables in the temple and he has the whip to drive out the money changers. And did it ever strike you that uh, the temple, there was a temple guard. And these guys were trained professional soldiers. And there's temple guard. And at least in the gospel account, did it ever strike you that nobody tried to stop him? <laughs> and if they did, they weren't successful. Right? I mean, this is, this is Jesus. A dude, was, he's probably ripped. I mean, he's a carpenter's son, hauling logs, cutting down trees, putting beams in place on. I mean, he was stronger than Marco, right? And, um, and, and I, I picture these temple guards being like, 
<laughs> nope, <laughs> nope, <laughs> I'm not dealing with that, you know. And right? And yet, gentle and lowly. A savior who children were drawn to. Someone sent us these uh, pictures um, after we miscarried our first baby. Pencil drawings, someone's imagination. I'm not saying this is what Jesus looked like or whatever, but I was more captured by the, the feeling in this of a Savior holding little babies. And I remember looking at these often in my office and, and having a little bit of a tear roll out and saying, Jesus, take care of my baby. I love that picture. Helping him walk. I don't, I don't know what this looks like on the heaven side of things, but, but again, the sense, though, that whatever it looks like, that there's a Savior who can wreak havoc in the temple and yet will hold children, love children, the broken, the lion and the lamb. This is our Savior, gentle and lowly. So some of the ways this is captured in the carols, right? We just sang a little town of Bethlehem. Lowly birth, humble beginnings. Thou didst leave thy throne, it captures great, great words. No room, it captures that in one of the verses. Lowly birth, did thou come to earth? It came in great humility. The line in the third verse, I believe, foxes found rest and the birds their nest. But the, the son of God just laid his head on the sod. Humility, lowliness. Hark the herald angels sing, pleased as man with man to dwell. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Didn't think equality with God something to be grasped, but was willing to become. He was pleased to be here with us and to be our Savior. What child is this? Speaks of his humiliating, shameful death. Nail, spear shall pierce him through. Blood shed on the cross. He's lowly. Look in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 views this passage, I think both uh, previous weeks, but I want to go to a different part of it today. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Here's the invitation we talked about a couple weeks ago. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Verse 29. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. And here it is. For I am gentle and lowly in heart's. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Gentle, lowly. Terminology that Paul uses to describe Jesus as well in 1 Corinthians. Gentle, lowly. It's, it's interesting. That there are very few places in the New Testament where Jesus kind of describes his personality. I mean, he's he, very clear on who he is as the Son of God and these things. But, but actually describing himself to us. Very few, and this is one of the ones, one of the clearest ones. I am gentle. I am lowly. This is what I am. This is, this is who I am. And we see this throughout the New Testament. And what I did is I just gave you a list of Scripture passages there. I'm going to cite some examples. Those passages match these examples. I thought instead of like 30 blanks on the page, we'd just do it this way. But, but think about this. We've already alluded to the, to the children. Parents bringing their children to Jesus. They obviously weren't intimidated by him. It wasn't like, ooh, that bad man. Let's, let's stay away from him. No, the parents were bringing their children. Parents, you wanna, like, for us to bring our kids to someone, we've got to have a pretty high degree of trust. 
and who this person was. And you see the disciples were indignant. They were indignant. They're like, are you kidding me? This is the rabbi. This is Jesus. Get the children away from me. He doesn't have time. He doesn't have time for children. And Jesus is indignant. He's mad at the disciples. He's like, what are you, are you guys kidding? No, let the little children come to me. Stop, you're interrupting my playtime. I'm enjoying this. Gentle, lowly. There's this character, right? Touching the leper in Matthew chapter 8. You think about this. He touched the leper. We know from the miracle accounts, Jesus could heal from a distance. Remember the centurion's servant? He didn't even go to the house. You speak the word and it would be healed. He could have kept his distance from this leper. Be healed. He touched the leper. People didn't touch lepers. They were unclean. This man's whole life had been characterized by people trying to get as far away from him as they could. And Jesus not only heals him of his leprosy, but I think in touching him, he heals something else in that man. For once in a long time, someone is stepping toward him. Someone is putting their hand on him. Tenderness. Gentleness. He knew that this man needed not only physical healing, but this man needed a touch, a human touch, maybe to validate him again. You're human. The woman who touched Jesus' garments. Love this. In Luke chapter 8, remember that? The great crowd. She had this issue of blood, and she crawls through the crowd. We got the picture out here in our library that Jeff got there in Israel. And she reaches out, and she touches Jesus' garment. She's cheating. (laughs) She didn't get permission to do that. She's stealing from Jesus. She's presuming on him. And he says, who's touched me? And I don't know if she figured out that she wasn't going to be able to get away with it, but she says she's trembling here in the gospel. Look, she starts trembling. Because now she's afraid. What's he going to do to me? See what it says. Jesus' response was, hey, be cheerful. Don't be afraid. He says, daughter, daughter. This word daughter here in that passage, it's a friendly greeting to a woman or a girl. Right? I mean, didn't she just take advantage of him? No, he says, daughter, hey. Don't be scared. He looks at her, I'm guessing with eyes of great love and compassion. Why? Because he's gentle. Over and over again throughout the Gospels, we read of Jesus' compassion Matthew 9, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, for he saw that they were harassed and helpless, sheep without a shepherd. These are the people who are going to crucify him. And he sees them for who they are, broken and lost and needing someone to love them. And he's gentle and lowly towards them. In Matthew 15, the feeding of the 5,000, this one's, this one's crazy. The people are all there listening. And Jesus doesn't finish his sermon and go, there, I've I've given you the word of God. It is enough. Go home. Peace be the journey. You know? No, he says to his disciples, he's like, man, he's like, they're hungry. He's like, guys, we got to take care of it. They're hungry. He says, I do not want to send them away lest they faint on the way home. Right? He cares that they're hungry. He cares. He doesn't want them to make a long walk home on an empty stomach. He's gentle. He cares about this. He weeps over Jerusalem 
talked about this last week. He longs to gather um, Jerusalem as a mother hen. Listen to this terminology. He says this in, in, in Luke 19 when he weeps. And then in Matthew 23 in Luke 13, he uses this terminology. I long to gather you under my wings like a hen. That's motherly terminology. I want you here. I want you protected. I want to draw you in. That's, that's the gentle side of the lion, the tribe of Judah. He weeps over the death of his friend Lazarus in Luke 11. He cries because his friend died. This is humanity. This is gentleness. And here's the thing, right? I th- he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He still cries. I think part of it is he looks out and he sees the scene and he sees the sorrow and he sees the brokenness of creation and he understands this is not the way it was supposed to be and I think it broke Jesus' heart to see humanity suffering and hurting and he saw death right there. It's gentle. He cares. It bothered him. The hurt and brokenness of our world. When we weep, he weeps. He washes the disciples' feet in John 13. Talk about gentle. Talk about lowly. And including that the fact that he washed Judas' feet. Knowing what Judas is going to do. That's lowly. This characterizes our Savior. If you're like me, sometimes you have this tendency to think too, okay, you know, okay this is God in the New Testament. God in the Old Testament, was, he was nasty. He was the God of law. The God of wrath. But no, that's not even true. Right? Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Right? You've, seen, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Check out these passages of gentleness in the Old Testament. I'm going to throw a few of them because I just want you to be overwhelmed. This is Isaiah 40. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with the young. And keep in context, these passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah, Israel not exactly deserving of tenderness. And yet, God, this is how I ultimately see you. Isaiah 63, in all of their affliction, he was afflicted. And the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity, he redeemed them. He lifted them up and carried them all the days of old. Jeremiah 31, 20, and Ephraim, is Ephraim my dear son? Ephraim is, is, is synonymous with Israel. My, isn't he my dear son? Is he my darling child? Like, ooh, it sounds kind of good, but... Darling, my darling child, I adore him. For as often as I speak against him, I do remember him still. Therefore, my heart yearns for him. I will surely have mercy on him, declares the Lord. Tenderness. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Isaiah 57, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, and to revive the heart of the contrites. And I love this one too. This is quoted in Isaiah, it's quoted again in Matthew. A bruised reed he will not crush. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Wow. I think that bruised reed, contrast it with, there's an old metaphor in, in ancient Akkadian literature. And in talking, it was applied to these Assyrian kings. And, and the quote is this, the Assyrian kings would snap 
like a marsh reed and subdue underfoot those who oppose them. Snap the reed. Right? This is what powerful, strong kings do. They snap those who disobey them. They crush those who stand against them. Oh, not the Savior King, no. He says, a bruised reed I will not crush. A smoldering wick. You know what that is? You know, like in our house, you know, you have the, like the candle, and when it gets down to the end there, and it starts, it starts getting low, and what do you do? You're like, oh, it's garbage. You throw it away, you get the new candle out, light it. Right? Back in that time, the smoldering wick, right? They didn't have electricity. They'd have the lamp, and, and the wick would start to get down, and before it get down, like, oh, that, that wick's about to be garbage. We need to get it out really quick so we can put the new one in and have light again. Just snuff it out and throw it away. You ever feel like a smoldering wick? <laughs> I'm not burning very bright right now, God. I feel like I'm about to go out. I don't have strength. I failed again. I'm the bruised reed. This is saying, you know what he doesn't do? He doesn't look at us and go, yeah, you are worthless. I need to replace you with someone better. Someone who's more faithful to me. Someone who's more loyal. Someone who doesn't sin as much as you. Snuff and throw away. He says, I won't do that. I don't give up. That's gentle. So here are the implications of this, right? I can take my concerns to him because he truly cares about everything that concerns me. He truly cares about everything that concerns me. Sometimes we think that God only cares about me if I'm, you know, like, okay, I'm going to pray about uh, being a, a, a blessing to my, my class this week that I'm teaching, or, or I'm gonna, I need to share my faith with them so, so I can pray, and God's going to, he cares about that. But does he care about the fact that, man, I'm not sure where the next paycheck's going to come from. Does he care about the fact that I sit there and I think, man, how, man how's my relationship going to change with my little girl when she goes to college next year? Like, man, that's something that's on a daddy's mind, right? Does he care about that? I don't know how to raise this kid. God, I, does he care about that? Yeah. God, I don't have a job right now. I'm scared. God, I have an exam this week that I'm nervous about. He cares about that. This is the gentle and lowly Savior who understands our lives. I love that. I didn't put this in there. 2 Kings 6 5. This strikes me as weird. In 2 Kings 6, 6 5, 2 Kings 6 5, Elisha. There's this great, amazing miracle where he makes an axe head float. Like, what is that? Like, an axe head. Why would he make an axe head float? Like, why is that a. I don't know. I, I, here's what I think. Part of that. Those axe heads, they were made out of iron, copper. They're very expensive. And here's this guy, this laborer, and he's working, and that axe head flies off and goes into the water, and he can't recover it. That is a blow. He can't work anymore. He can't make money anymore. And now he has to try to buy a new one. I think God cared about that. Elisha, go get that for him. That man's got to work. That man's got to provide for his family. Like, what is that? I think that's a God who cares about the little things. Cast all your cares upon him. God, my axe head fell in the water. God's like, I got you. I care about that. I'm going to take care of you. I can take my concerns to him. Hebrews 5, 2. Oops. He deals gently with me. 
he deals gently with ignorant and wayward people. Hi, <laughs> here I am, <laughs> ignorant and wayward, and he deals gently with me because he himself was beset with weakness. I can be honest with him about my sin and my struggles. I can be honest. He knows about it anyway, so I may as well talk to him about it. Be honest with him. Confess to him. Know that he accepts me even when I'm struggling to accept myself. Accept, comprehend, and know God's love for you. This is Paul's great prayer often in his letters, Ephesians 3, 8 through 18 through 19, right? Pray that you would know the love of God. Romans 8, I pray that you would know the love of God. Why is that such a passionate prayer of Paul's on multiple occasions? Because he knows, I think, how hard it is for accept that, to accept that love sometime. To really believe that God loves me as I am. Why does he love me as I am? Because he was gentle. And he did this. He gets it. He knows what it is to be us. So often we're reluctant to receive his grace and mercy. He reaches out to embrace us and we stiff arm him. We can accept and receive his grace and his mercy. Dane Ortland, who wrote a book entitled Gently, uh, what is it, Luke? Lowly and Gentle and Lowly. Thank you. Um, it's a great book, by the way. I recommend it. Uh, really good read. He, he writes this. I think I got it up here. What elicits tenderness from Jesus is not the severity of the sin, but whether the sinner comes to him. Whatever our offense, he deals gently with us. If we never come to him, we will experience a judgment so fierce it will be like a double-edged sword coming out of his mouth at us. If we do come to him, as fierce as his lion-like judgment would have been against us, so deep will be his lamb-like tenderness for us. We will be enveloped in one or the other. To no one will Jesus be neutral. Love that. He's going to deal with the unrepentant, those who reject him. But those who come to him say, I'm a mess, I'm broken. He comes to us with the opposite grace and that is just as ferocious as his judgment. Right? Jesus is lowly. Right? He's gentle. He's also lowly. It's Isaiah 53, 2-3 here, talking about his lowliness. This strikes me, for he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. That imagery struck me. Talk about Jesus' lowliness. A root out of dry ground. Plants grow best and most easily and well-watered, fertile soil, right? I get the imagery here of a plant growing up in dry, arid ground like they would have had over in Israel. And that plant has to fight and struggle to survive, to grow, to bloom. And this is kind of the imagery we get of Jesus. He grew up in, in, in rough circumstances. The passage in Isaiah goes on, it kind of tells us that, right? He, he, he was despised and rejected. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty, the man of sorrows. He had a rough life. This plant grew up in the midst of hardship and challenge and difficulty. He was acquainted with grief. Acquainted means he knew it well. It was part of his life. You know, <laughs> hello, darkness, my old friend. You know, that's a, uh, it was there. Part of his life. He, he grew up poor. 
We know this because of the, 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 the sacrifice. Mary, in Luke chapter 2, when they came to present him in the temple, the sacrifice they offered was turtle doves. Under Levitical law, there was a provision. If you can't afford a lamb or a ram or a goat it's in, in place, you can offer turtle doves. Jesus' family was poor. He was the poor kid. Grew up in a backwater town of Nazareth. He knew what it like, was like to be lowly. I mean, you think about it. Here he is, the son of God, and his parents couldn't even afford a ram or goat to sacrifice on his behalf. Turtle doves were offered. His family was poor. Mary acknowledges such in, in her song in Luke 1. A maiden of humble estate. Lowly, right? He- Hebrews 5, I think you got the wrong reference here. It's 5-7, not 5-2. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. <laughs> loud cries and tears. This characterized his life. And here's the thing. Hebrews 2.18, because he suffered. Because he suffered. Because he grew up hard. He's able to help us. He's able to be a faithful and true High priest, I need to understand. I don't have to be somebody for him to care about me and help me. I don't have to have a seminary degree or have money or status for him to take an interest in me. He gets me. I thought about where my dad grew up when I was reading this passage. Down in southern Ohio, the old coal mining places. It's, it's, it's bad, poverty. If you've ever read J.D. Vance's book, Hillbilly Elegy, he nails it. The cycles of drug abuse and, 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 and never breaking out of the cycles and the brokenness. And, and, uh, and I thought about the street my dad grew up on and the crazy lady across the street and the trailers that people lived in and the brokenness and poverty. And I thought Jesus would have felt right at home there. But these people who a lot of in society look at and they're like, oh my word, backwater hillbillies. Jesus would be like, I get them. I get them. I'm gentle and lowly in heart. In heart. The biblical meaning of the word heart, that's the core of his being, his person, what animates him. His heart, he is gentle and he's lowly. Wow. So there's implications. Because Jesus is gentle and lowly, because he is gentle and lowly, he befriends us and makes us his family. Flip over to John chapter 15. John chapter 15. Because Jesus is gentle and lowly, he befriends us. Listen uh, to this. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, verse 12. Um, Now going into verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Verse 14, you're going to see the word again. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Verse 15, it continues. This, This statement is astounding. No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name, he may give it to you. Friends? I, I call you friends. I brought you in. He, and we're in on that. Jesus has revealed to us like, Friend of Jesus. A couple years ago, Zach, uh, baseball season finished there at TVBL, and his coach, uh, Coach Chop, 
Had us all over at his house. End of the year, barbecue, had the inflatables out there. It was a really great party. And I remember we got there, and, and um, I, I helped coach that year with Bill. And he pulls me aside. He goes, hey, I want to let you know something today. Because I didn't want to get this out there because I didn't want crazy people to show up. But uh, he said, I, I'm actually, I'm, I'm good friends with Matt LaFleur. Matt is the, the, head, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. And they, they overlapped one year at Western Michigan playing football together. And he said, hey, Matt's going to come over today um, and, and hang out with us a little bit. And, and he said his brother's coming too. He's the de- uh, offensive coordinator for the New York Jets, which at the time wasn't as nearly as impressive. But, um, um, but, um, but no, they're going to come over and hang out. And, and, and he said, I, I wanted you to know, because he said, the one thing I'm going to ask you to not do is he said, just don't mention Aaron Rodgers. Because that was one, uh, you know, is he going to go with him, not going to go with him? And he's like, he's so tired of talking about Aaron Rodgers. Like, no problem. So sure enough, they show up. And like, like that day, right? I mean, we're sitting there. And I'm like, we're, we're sitting there eating burgers and just hanging out, shooting a bra- I'm with Matt LaFleur. We're talking football. I'm like, this is crazy. And then we go down, and Bill had a, an incredible weight room. I'm like, I'm talking weightlifting with an NFL coach. And, uh, like, and you, you kind of just felt like, oh, like, I'm just one of the guys. You know, I'm hanging out with the NFL coaches. And, uh, you know, now, again, it, you'd have no idea who I am if you asked him today, right? <laughs> Completely forgotten about that day, probably. Um, but, man, this is even better. I've been brought in to be in the company of Jesus, like a friend of Jesus, right? Matt LaFleur has forgotten about me. Jesus will never forget about me as his friend. I've been brought in. Why? Because he's gentle and lowly. Some of the other terminology in the New Testament, Revelation 3, I stand at the door and knock. If you open the door and invite me in, what does it say? I'll eat with you. Fellowship. Table fellowship in this culture meant relational connection, like, like we're eating together. Luke 15, right? Matthew 11, Luke 7. He's the friend of sinners and tax collectors. He's a friend of the lowly. He's a friend. Jesus, the creator, God, a friend. Wow. Because he's gentle and lowly. Hebrews 2, verse 11. says he's not ashamed call us brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. This is Jesus talking. Not ashamed to call me his brother. Right? You know how it is, kind of, holidays coming up. Probably all of us have, there's like a family member. We're not real, like, eh, no, we're not really related. Uh, we're a little ashamed. You know, Cousin Eddie type of person, right? Or, you know, whatever. I mean, that's how my daughters are often with Zach. Like, Dad, where did we find him? He's not one of, you know, like that type of thing. Uh, right? We kind of, like, and I would think, like, Jesus, this would be Jesus with me, right? He's like, yeah, these are my people here. The, uh, uh, yeah, there's Craig, but, uh, you know, he's, he's not related by blood we just kind of found him and took him in so don't judge you know like that type of thing and Jesus but that's not what he does he's not ashamed he's like no he's one of mine I know he's a loser (laughs) he's one of mine he's weird he's he's mine I'm not even ashamed to say he's mine he's my brother it's it's crazy but I'm a mess I'm not ashamed to call you my brother but I fail all the time I'm not ashamed to call you my brother I'm a sinner I'm not ashamed to call you my brother I failed as a parent. Again, I'm not ashamed to call you my brother. Like, that's crazy. But this is how he views us. By the way, his terminology, brothers in Scripture, is loaded. It means closeness. David and Jonathan, brothers, 
They considered themselves brothers. Like, really? Now, again, right, this friendship thing, we've got to be careful with it. It's not this reciprocal friendship kind of like we have here. As equals, Jesus is very clear. You didn't choose me. I chose you to be my friend. So we've got to qualify it with that. But that makes it even more incredible, in my opinion. Usually when we make friends, it's because we share some commonalities and there's an equality. Jesus chose me as his friend, and I don't even deserve it. I'm not in any way, shape, or form equal to him. Right? The implications of this, he's made like his brothers in every way so he could become a merciful and faithful high priest. He's merciful because he understands us. This is an example of his tenderness. He's not ashamed to identify with me. He calls me his family. Jonathan Edwards says, God in Christ allows such little poor creatures as you are to come to him, to love communion with him, and to maintain a communication of love with him. You may go to God and tell him how you love him and open your heart, and he will accept of it. He has come down from heaven and has taken upon himself the human nature and purpose that he might be near to you and might be, as it were, your companion. Wow. Because Jesus is tender, and lowly, he sympathizes with our weakness. Kind of already alluded to this. In Hebrews 4, we have a high priest who understands. A high priest who gets us. And he intercedes for us at the right hand of God. Do you, do you understand what this means? Like he, he communicates to the Father on my behalf. I understand. I remember what that felt like. God, I feel lonely. I feel lonely, God. I need, Jesus can say, I felt that. A night in the garden when they all took off running, I felt that. God, this is what they need right now. A, a marriage falls apart. A spouse cheats on us. And we feel betrayed and broken. And, and, and Jesus can say to his father, I know what they need. I remember when, when, when Peter denied me and I felt that betrayal when Judas betrayed me, and I thought, I know what it feels like to be betrayed, to be abandoned. This is what they need right now. When you, God, I don't know where the next paycheck is going to come. Jesus grew up poor, right? I feel like a worthless dad. I can't provide for my family. I think Jesus, you know, he goes, I, Joseph, man, there are times things get a little slow in the carpenter shop. I know what it's like. I know what it was like watching, watching Joseph struggle with that God. This is what that dad needs right now. So the, he identifies with us. He gets us. Cries and loud groanings. He gets us. I can lean into him. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. When we were talking about adopting Tyler, there was one guy, I said, to Kathy, I was really struggling with this, right, in my head, and there was one guy, I said, I want to talk to you. I told Kathy, Scott, Florida, the youth pastor up at Alpine Baptist Center. Big family, pastor, ministry, and then adopted a couple kids, and I'm like, I think he's the only one who can understand what I'm really struggling with here, like, what does all of this together look like? And I went, and Scotty and I met up at Qdoba on Alpine. We sat there for a couple hours. Scott cried for half of it. And he said, this is, what, this is the reality of it. And he told me how hard it was, and this, 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 and this. But he said, it's where, and, he, and he just talked to me about what it was like and how it's hard, but he doesn't regret it. And I remember I walked out of that. And I'm like, we're going to adopt this little boy. What I needed was I needed someone who understood. Speak truth to me to minister to me. And I, I walked out of it and I was standing because I could identify with Scott. That's what I have in Jesus, someone who I can identify with. He gets me. I can talk to him about my problems, my struggles. He understands it. He feels it. Right? And lastly, he, he perseveres with us. He perseveres with us. 
John 13, verse 1. This passage kicks off the um, kicks off the, the passion narratives that start in John 13. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. Persevered with his disciples. What does it mean he loved them to the end? It goes right into the passion narrative. He loved them to his death, dying for them. John 10, 27 through 30. Talks about a God who holds us in his hand, and he says, no one can pull you out of my hand. You're secure in my hand. Nobody can pluck you out of my hand. He perseveres with me because he gets me. He's lowly. Ephesians 2, 7, Paul writes that in the coming ages, Jesus is, is waiting to show us all the things he has for us. I, I get this sense. You ever have like when grandma and grandpa coming over your house and your kids have a new toy? Or whatever, especially when they're younger, and they, and they get it, and they can't wait for grandma and grandpa to come because Zach's, you know, he's running out with his new Nerf gun. Like, look what I got! Or a new doll that they got. Look what I got, you know, and they, want, they can't wait to show grandma and grandpa. I get a sense in the way that Jesus is kind of like that. Like, he's going to persevere with us, and he's saying, I know that you're broken, and I know you're sinful, but my grace has covered you, and I cannot wait to show you what I have for you. I've been preparing it, and it's yours, and I can't wait to show you the incomparable riches of my grace. Eye is not seen, ear is not heard. This is going to be yours. And God perseveres with us. And he's going to persevere with us to the very end when all things are made new and he's with us on a new earth. Jeremiah 31.3 says that he's loved us with an everlasting love. <laughs> Again, Jeremiah. If you look, several other passages in Jeremiah, it talks about how bad Israel was, how much they had rejected him and turned their back on him and were idolatrous and everything else. And he says in the context of all of this, I loved you with an everlasting love. It never wanes. It never cools. It never calculates. He just loves us. The Puritan preacher John Flavel wrote, As God did not at first choose you because you were high, he will now not forsake you because you are low. Paul writes in Ephesians, Spencer, why don't you come on up? Paul writes in Ephesians 3, I want you to know the love of God. Because he knows how hard. Jesus was lowly. If we understand that Jesus was lowly and humble and gentle, we will run to him and we'll embrace his love. I had a brother in my office just this week. We're talking. And he said, I keep remembering, Craig, things I did, sins I did, and I come back, and, I, and he goes, I just and, and find it so hard to just really believe that God just forgives me. And this guy was broken. He said, it's so hard. He's, and I'm like, I get it. It is. So, it's so, so hard to open up our hands and say, I, I receive your grace. But that's what he does. He gives it to us. Just accept, man. He's gentle. He takes me as I am and my brokenness. Started the, the message last week with a story about uh, Lincoln Hall, who was trapped up on the, the top of Everest. The desperate situation he was in. Didn't emphasize very much Dan Mazur, the guy who rescued him. Mazur says this. Uh, he says, We became apparent to us as we stopped to rescue this guy that we weren't going to get to the summit of Everest. It got too late in the day that we'd, our chance was gone. And they made the tough call to turn around. He says, coming back down the ridge, to be honest, there were feelings of disappointment 
at not making the summit. Everest is a peculiar mountain in that the summit is so highly prized and sought after that nothing else seems important. This was made abundantly clear to us as two Italians walked by as we just had found Lincoln. They increased their pace, moved on, and said, no, speak English. Although one of our compatriots at high camp had had an hour-long chat with him the day before in English. No one cared about stopping to help this man. And several passed. He says the next day at camp, they, they, they got back together with him and they reintroduced themselves and sat there talking about his family and his wife. And during the conversation, I couldn't help but wonder, how in any way is a summit more important than saving a life? The answer is that it isn't. But in this skewed world up here, sometimes you can be fooled into thinking that it might be. But I know that trying to sleep at night, knowing that I summited Everest and left a guy to die isn't something I ever wanted to do. The summit is always there after all. Jesus didn't think equality with God was something to be grasped. He gave up for a while the summit to become lowly and rescue us off the mountain, sacrificing himself to do it. He's gentle, he's lowly. Grab that about your Savior this morning.